0: at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. 20 minutes out of 1,440 that God gives us every day. Have you guys been starting to do this yet? Yeah? Okay. Last week, I just encouraged us to start spending time in God's Word every day. 20 minutes. Just spending the time starting to go through it because... You know, 20 out of 1,440 really isn't that much, right? Okay. And if uh, you haven't started it yet, you can still join in. Um, we are starting to go through the New Testament specifically. And so if you, uh, you want to do that with us, there's some paper copies of the reading plan out in the lobby. But you can also just text NT24 to the number 720 9075 And each morning at about 7 o'clock in the morning, you will receive a text that tells you what to read. Um, Are you guys enjoying Matthew so far? We're almost done with Matthew, just kind of walking through it. Um, Yesterday, if you're in the plan, you would have read Matthew 22. And there's a particular story there where an expert in the religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we call this the great commandment. And scholars, when they pair it with the Great Commission, call it the Jesus Creed. I just call it the six words. Love God, love others, make disciples. And if you've been here at MBF, we use those six words often. We talk about them a lot. Um, I really think that this is our life purpose. This is what Jesus taught us to do. Love God, love others, make disciples. And you notice the thing about these six words is it's really not about you, is it? It's about God and others. We're in a sermon series that we're just calling Live the Life. And what we're doing is we're just, we have this goal for us as a church family that in 2024, we all grow closer to God that we have a lot of spiritual growth. And so this sermon series is just covering the basics, just the fundamental things that we all need to be doing so that we can grow. And last week I talked about the fact that we need to be intentional. We need to be focused because we all want to know who God is. And we got to be focused to do that. The Bible speaks of our relationship with God as knowing him and being known by him. John 10, Jesus said it this way. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. To be known by God. Let that sink in for a moment. To be known by God. God knows you. He created you, knows everything about you. He chose you, he has adopted you. Do you believe that? Just think, if we fully understood and accepted and believed that, the change that would happen in our life, the huge growth in our relationship with him, we probably wouldn't sin at all. We wouldn't worry because we know that he knows us. Last week we talked about reading God's word, the Bible, And it's maybe the best way for us to listen to Him. This morning, we're going to be talking about prayer. And prayer is talking and still listening to God. It comes out of knowing Him, our relationship with Him. Now, prayer is a huge topic. And obviously, we could spend every Sunday for a year or years on it, talking through the theology, the, the practice, the different forms of prayer that's in Scripture. Um, This morning, I'm just getting a stardust with maybe some of the foundational view that Jesus taught about it. Now, I do want to make one theological point before we go too far, that Scripture must inform our prayer. That's why we started the series with talking about reading the Bible first. The best way to get to know God is to read his autobiography, the Bible. But if you're not regularly immersed in the Word, it's likely that your prayers are not anchored. In fact, they're probably more likely about yourself, your needs, your earthly desires, instead of being about what God desires for you and his will for you. Part of this is Galatians 4.6, which says, Because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, the Holy Spirit absolutely influences And he does guide our prayers. But we need to make sure we're in Scripture often to make sure that we're actually hearing his voice and not some other voice. That we can check what we're being told against Scripture, and we know we're praying the right stuff. Now, in talking about prayer, uh, through the years in my walk with Christ, I've been influenced by a number of pastors, um, different teachings and stuff on prayer. Uh, One of them is a guy named Tim Keller. Tim Keller. And uh, Pastor Keller recently died, but he had an amazing book. It was titled Prayer, pretty simple title. I would highly recommend it as just an extra biblical thing. If you want to read more on prayer, it is amazing and it'll help you. Now, Tim Keller defines prayer this way. He says, prayer as a spiritual gift from God is a genuine personal conversation in reply to God's specific revelation, the word and the spirit. Prayer is a continuing conversation that we have with God, one that he started through his word and through his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter, us with him. And personal doesn't always mean, well, private. It doesn't always mean just by yourself. It means that you are personally engaged in the prayer, that you are authentic and genuine and intentional with this conversation and your relationship with God. And if you do that, prayer becomes a personal encounter with him. The goal of prayer is a real personal connection with God, not what we can get out of him. A lot of us pray in a way that we kind of treat God as our own personal cosmic vending machine, right? You push a button and out pops your heart's desires. Um, one of the things we're going to be reading before too long is the... the The letters of Paul. And there's something striking that you can do as you read through. Just look at the prayers that he says. And kind of, you'll be able to see a tremendous range of things. But one thing is really striking. He never prays to God to change the circumstances of his friends' lives. Even though they were going through poverty and suffering and persecution. Instead, the one thing he consistently prays prays for others is for them to know God. Ephesians 1's example, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, it's not wrong for us to pray for others or pray for health and food and peace. But it's interesting that Paul thought the most important thing he could pray for his friends was for them to know God them to have that relationship. And I don't know about you, when I first read that, it was kind of like, am I praying that for my friends? It's a great thing for us to do, to, for them to know God, whether they're believers or unbelievers. This morning as we start in, I just want to say, perhaps there is a right and a wrong way to pray. And it's all about our heart posture. Uh, we've talked about this often. Our heart posture is kind of our central core. It's how we approach things. It's It's the center of our beliefs, our worldviews, our perspectives, our attitudes, our actions. And my question is, what is the primary focus of your heart? Is it you or is it God? Is it the Jesus creed? Is it in there? Love God, love others, make disciples. And Jesus taught on heart posture with prayer often. In particular, on the Sermon of the Mount, we're going to go there this morning. So, if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, and we're going to look at how Jesus taught about this, that's where we're going to spend our time. And he starts kind of this teaching in verse five, and Jesus said, "When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get." Now, just a little bit of background context here. Uh, At this point in Jewish history, um, they had been doing something called the Shema, which is a daily prayer. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. They do it three times a day, and the Shema is taken from Scripture, and it starts with Deuteronomy 6. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the opening line. And that prayer has continued. If you go to Jerusalem today, to the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, that's what they're praying often is the Shema. Now, in Jesus' time, um, what was happening is somehow the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees just happened to show up in the marketplace about the mid-time, midday prayer. And when it was about time, they would find a way to stand on stairs or something and kind of elevate themselves and say in a loud voice, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were trying to put the attention on them right? It wasn't so much about the prayer, it was, look at me. Look how religious I am. Look how pious and great I am. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. A wrong way to pray is to have the heart posture of strutting your stuff. Verse 6, but when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Have a heart posture of humility, of reverence towards God. And private just means here, don't show off. It doesn't mean you have to be alone. You can pray with your family, you can pray with others. But the point is, humility, it's about God. And then Jesus, he's just been touching about the Jewish side. Now he's going to talk about the pagan side. People who are worshiping other gods. And he says this, when you pray, don't babble on and on as Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating the words again and again and again and again. You ever been with somebody who prays and it just seems like they're just saying the same words over and over, right? Recalls to me uh, just a story out of 1 Kings chapter 18. There was a, a prophet, Elijah, and he was having kind of a spiritual battle or contest, if you will, with the prophets of Baal and Baal's a false god. All day long, the prophets of Baal were yelling and screaming and dancing around, throwing their bodies around, cutting themselves um, just over and over and over again to get Baal to do something. And some people say the, the Bible doesn't have humor, but it does. This is one of those stories. So Elijah actually mocks these guys, right? At one point he says, hey, maybe your God is relieving himself. He's busy in the bathroom right now. That's not why he's not hearing you. So shout louder, right? Saying the same thing over and over and over again doesn't get you heard by God. Verse 8, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Remember, he knows you. You don't have to fill your prayers just with phrases and fill in the blanks. Earnestly mean what you're saying. Then Jesus starts into something right after this, and and we call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, You're probably familiar with it. There's a lot of different versions of it. Some of that has to do with different English translations of the Bible, but it has more to do probably with different flavors of Christianity and different denominations. On the screen is the King James Version of the the Lord's Prayer. And for a lot of us who have memorized it in the past, we probably have some of this wording, right? Um, There's a little difference in the middle, Or it says, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many of you pray it that way? A few hands, right? How about uh, trespasses? That's probably the majority, right? And then how about forgive our sins? A few, okay? Means the same thing, um, so they're all good to say. What I'd like to do just to get started is, can everybody just stand up for a moment? We're going to recite this together. We're going to pray it together. And when we get to that middle part, uh, just say what you commonly say, okay? And I know it's going to get a little muddy. That's okay. God can, can hear us, okay? But go ahead and say that. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forget those who trespass against us and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen all right go ahead and have a seat to me it's always kind of fun when we do that corporately it's like we know the cadence to say it right um did it feel familiar kind of used to it right This morning, I'm going to walk through the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to throw in a few different translations of the Bible, just so that we can hear it maybe a little different. We'll see some words that we're familiar with, and then some that just seem a little different. And Jesus, when he starts teaching about the prayer, he just says, pray like this. I see the Lord's Prayer as actually a model idea for how to pray. Not necessarily concerned about the specific words, Um, God will not hear you better because you follow some rules about prayer, Um, because you're saying the right words in the right order, almost like we're casting a spell or saying a pledge. There is nothing that we can repeat or formulate or do that can qualify us for access to God. It's His grace alone. And so just like salvation, our prayer is not heard based upon our performance but on the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's all about our heart posture, about our relationship, about knowing him and being known by him. And so I think the Lord's Prayer is fantastic for us to say out loud, but I think sometimes we get a little hung up on that alone. And I think it's good for us to look at it fresh. The Lord's Prayer essentially starts in all translations the the same way, our Father in heaven. And... It's interesting here, we're starting with this concept that God knows us and we know him. It's personal. It's the concept that we're starting to talk to somebody that we can trust. Someone we have relationship with, someone who we're close to and we're connected, who loves us and we love him. Someone who's ready to listen to us. And I know for a lot of us, our, our relationships with our father, our earthly father may not be that great, but... We're talking about our perfect heavenly father who wants to hear from us. And then Jesus goes in the same sentence from this intimate relationship, our father, to a holy one. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed just means holy. Holy being unique, set apart, utterly different than anything else. Now, speaking about my own prayer life, and yours may match this too, I don't think I typically spend enough time adoring and praising God sustained in prayer. We don't approach Him as holy very often. We're really comfortable with the Father part, but holy, we just don't do that enough. Let me give you an example. If there was somebody you really respect and you're having a conversation with them, would you fall asleep? while you're talking? Would you drift off? Would you lose your place and kind of your your attention goes to something else? And yet we do that a lot when we pray. I don't think we're being intentional when we just kind of fit prayer in between things. It's not right. I mean, after all, this is the almighty creator God that we're talking with. We need to picture being face-to-face with him, right? Right? And if we were face-to-face, what would our reaction be? In Scripture, when that happened to people, they were terrified. There was a fear of God over them. And we may think, fear of God, he's going to punish us, he's going to smite us. That's maybe true before we know Christ. But afterwards, the fear of God should be more about his awesomeness, his power, his wonder. I think authentic prayer requires, but it also produces awe of God. What in your life produces awe? For me, I can be moved to tears when I'm looking at an incredible painting like an original Monet, or some music will bring me to tears, or an incredible sunset over the Grand Canyon. But am I moved by awe and wonder when I pray? And it should be there. Maybe it's because we look at prayer sometimes as what we need to be happy. But our happiness should actually be in Jesus. So again, it's heart posture. We pray to know him more, to be in his presence. Jesus then continued in in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. And in the Gospels, just think of the kingdom as the reign and the rule of God, where it exists and where it's followed, which means it's really about in our hearts. It's us as believers following him. The kingdom is not not a physical place. It's, It's not a country or a building. It's in our hearts. And when you pray, may your kingdom come, it is really a lordship petition. You are asking for his Royal authority and power to be over all aspects of your life, your desires, your emotions, your commitments, your actions. And then the next part is your will be done. And if our hearts are in that kingdom, now we are talking about surrender. Uh, Martin Luther, when he was writing about this part of the prayer, said, Grant us the grace to recognize that it's your will to crucify our will, to change it up for him, to surrender. In other words, our needs and our issues should not dominate our prayers. Rather, we aspire in prayer to be in full love and obedience of God. It's not just words we're saying. It's a commitment to follow through with what we are saying. And then the last little bit of verse 10 on earth as it is in heaven. We often kind of combine the two together. We just kind of say it that way, right? Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But grammatically, this last bit is for all three. His holy name, his kingdom, and his will. And the issue is here that there is a separation right now between heaven and earth. Right? Jesus has solved this separation, and it will be fully resolved when he comes back. You can read about it in page three of the Bible, right? Heaven and earth were together. Adam and Eve were walking with God. And then sin happens. The world gets broken. It gets messed up. But heaven remained perfect. They're separated. And eternity is when heaven and earth get fully overlapped again, right? And so part of this prayer is looking forward with joy of the completion of creation, The completion of the gospel when Jesus returns. And eternity and his full kingdom reigns. Now, in, in basically one verse here, we've had a lot. A quick summary of the Lord's Prayer so far is three petitions to God. His name, his kingdom, and his will. And now Jesus changes direction a little bit for the last bit. Give us today our daily bread. It's a prayer for provision. Two big things pop out here. Uh, one, just our daily bread. It keeps in mind the story of the Israelites during the Exodus, and God is every day giving them manna. He's giving them their daily food, just enough for today. When we pray this, more often than not, we're not thinking about just for today. We're, I think what we're really saying is, God, give me enough for this year. Give me enough for my retirement. Make sure everything is together, not just for today. I am often humbled by my, my partners and my friends that live in Haiti. Um, when I first started doing some mission stuff in Haiti, um, people would pull out their cell phones, and I always thought that was odd, you know? You're living in abject poverty and you have a cell phone. That, that doesn't equate. But what happens there is, you see, the cell phones are their lifeline. Um, you don't work for the same people, the same company every day. Every morning, they wake up and they start making phone calls. Hey, where are our jobs today? Where are things? And they try to get there in time to be selected to work. And if they don't get there in time or whatever, they don't work, they don't eat. And yet, my friends pray this all the time. Give us this day our daily bread. And they still praise God the days that they don't get their daily bread. They're okay with just enough for today. The second thing is you'll notice that it talks about give us this day our daily bread. Although when we pray it, I think our heads are usually going, give me my bread, right? But us, it's about our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's maybe a call here that said, hey, if, if I have an abundance, maybe I'm supposed to actually share it with others, right? It's kind of other-focused, then verse 12 says, and forgive our debts or forgive our sins. Um, our culture loves talking about God being a God of love, but we don't like to talk a lot about sin, especially our own. Um, often our prayers are devoid of the darkness within us. We don't necessarily bring confession and repentance. And the problem with doing this is it also skips the joy that comes from being forgiven from recognizing what God and Jesus has done for us. Regular confession produces joy in our lives. It's kind of counter from what you'd think. If you're talking about your sin all the time, you'd think you'd be down, but asking for forgiveness actually raises us up. And if it doesn't, then you may not have a full understanding of the grace and forgiveness that comes through the gospel through Christ. Again, it's our sins, not my sins. And I think there's a thought here that maybe we're supposed to be lifting each other up, encouraging each other, not gossiping, but seeking grace in each other's lives. And then kind of the second half of the statement is, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. A lot of times Jesus taught about the fact that if we don't forgive the people around us, our prayers are hampered. Our relationship with Jesus is damaged. You see, unresolved bitterness is a sign that you are not actually right with God. Imagine what our church family would be like if we quickly and regularly forgived everybody. There'd be no divorce here. There'd be no gossip. There'd be no hard feelings. There'd be no bitterness. It'd be amazing. And again, it's plural. (laughs) We, those who sin against us, Um, corporate forgiveness is an important thing. Seeking peace within us, something we need to pursue. And then verse 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Um, Temptation is to entertain and consider giving in to sin. It's not sin to be tempted, but it's sin when we give in to temptation. Right? Uh, Jesus, he was tempted, but unlike us, he did not sin. So Jesus right here is asking us to listen to the Holy Spirit, to think about all the scriptures that we're immersing ourselves in when we read so that we won't yield to temptation. It's also acknowledging that we really do have a real enemy. The devil is real. He wants us to sin. He wants to take us off of the target of following Christ. Also, this verse is the fourth time that we've hit an us, right? We need to lift each other up. We need relationships within each other to hold each other accountable, to know each other's sins and temptations, and so that we can be praying for each other and helping each other not hit those. You see, being a Christian is actually a team sport. It's not just something individually we do. Now, at this point, if you're reading any translation other than the King James or the New King James, it ends. But for those two translations, it continues and it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is called a doxology. It's a congregational response. Basically, when a bunch of people say it, you say this response at the end. Just so you know, this was started to be added to the book of Matthew around the end of the 5th century. It wasn't part of the original. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it's false or the Bible is error, you know, in error or anything like that. It just means it was kind of added because it was a common way that they prayed. It's okay for us to do that. But I want you to realize this isn't how Jesus ended the prayer. He ended it open. The whole point is for us to take this prayer and to continue to pray, to go from it on what else we need to talk to God about. Now, the summary of the second half of the prayer looks like this, three provisions for us together. It's about provision, forgiveness, and rescue first and then. Um, I really think that if we are praying together, that both informally and informally, it changes so many things. Um, I know that the best way for a couple not to get divorced is if they're praying out loud together regularly. It makes a huge difference. Now, if the point of prayer is to bring us closer to God, for us to have an experience with him, for us to know him more, man, the power that happens when we all do this together. Uh, here at Mount View, we want you guys to pray out loud together often. We mix that up into the service a lot to try different ways for you to pray. Of course, our Bible studies and our life groups and other groups pray together and collect prayer you know, re- requests so that we can lift each other up. And then we do things like there's a prayer night coming up on January 28th, two weeks from today, in the evening. Put it on your calendar. Come join us to pray together. Now, you notice I did these two summaries along the way of the petitions that were coming out in this prayer. Why did I do that? Well, when you take a step back and you look at these, you realize that Jesus is praying the Jesus Creed. The first three are all about loving God. The second three are all about loving others. He taught something, and he gave us a way to be part of it. So that when we pray, we are praying through this regularly. I think it's an awesome prayer model for us to keep in mind. It's, I think, supposed to make us think instead of just saying these words. Now, the last couple minutes we have together this morning, I want to give you a couple practical ways we can start to put this in practice together. Okay? Okay. First of all, add five minutes. Add five minutes of prayer to the end of your 20 minutes of reading, okay? Still not very much. I don't want you to be legalistic here. Um, You're not going to find in Scripture where it says, yea, thou shalt pray five minutes, right? Um, But I think five minutes is a good number. And the reason why is for many of us, this is going to feel long when we first start, okay? Uh, To be in intentional prayer for five minutes. And of course, if you need to pray longer, go for it, okay? Be deliberate about this. It's going to take some focus, intentional focus of us to be able to do this. So a couple things. One, get rid of distractions. Take your phone and make sure it's out of reach, right? Maybe even another room while you do this so that you can focus. If you're like me, sometimes when I'm praying, um, different people come to mind or things that I need to do. My to-do list sometimes, right? And I'm sitting there, and I, I'm trying to, to focus on prayer, but I'm thinking about this, and I don't want to forget. So what I do is I just have a sheet of paper with a pencil. Something comes up, oh, I need to talk to somebody or follow up with somebody. I can just write it down real quick and get back to prayer right away because I know I'm not going to forget it. It's written down, and I can stay focused. I also want to give you a simple structure. Of course, when you pray, you can pray through the Lord's Prayer and kind of like we've, we talked about a little bit. You can uh, pray about the scripture that you just read. That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to give you something I call the up, in, and out prayer, which is modeled after the Lord's Prayer. Here at MVF, we talk about up, in, and out. It's on the wall in the lobby. Usually what we talk about is our relationships. Every day we want to have an up relationship with God. Every week we want an in relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then often we have an out relationship with people who don't know Jesus yet. Okay? Okay? What I want you to do is now to think about up, in, and out, slightly different, and pray it. It goes like this, up, all about our awe of God. Pray through his holy name. Approach him as the creator of the universe. And then pray about his kingdom and his lordship in your life. And then surrendering to his will. And then there's in. In. In here is just confession of the sin that you have, your repentance, asking for forgiveness, and then being thankful that he hears that and he forgives and the blessings that he has given you. And then out, pray for others' needs. Maybe during this time you start praying about, are there areas in your life that you need to ask forgiveness from somebody or somewhere where you need to give forgiveness? And then escaping sin together, lifting up others to hold them accountable, to help them not give in to the temptation. You'll notice that this prayer is devoid of your needs. It's not the prayer of, hey, God, give me a good day today, let work go well, let that guy not be a jerk, right? What it is, is it's different. It's praying the Jesus Creed, love God, love others. Um... I'm asking you to do that for that five minutes, not to have your own requests in yet. I want you to focus on God first. Focus on your confession and focus on others. Because I'm very confident that you're probably going to pray about your needs later in the day, right? We're really good about that. But let's focus on something else to start with. Now, as we end our time together, what I want us to do is to just use this space as a place for us to pray. You can pray on your own. You can pray with the people you came with. If you need to move around and pray with somebody, go ahead and do that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up the NLT version of the Lord's Prayer. And that's just because it's not as familiar language. And so we'll kind of pray through that just to kind of get us started. And then, uh, just so you know, we're not going to do the doxology because I want to leave the prayer open. Okay? And then uh, I'll pray for just a few moments, and then I'm going to open it up to you. And I'll put back up on the screen this up, in, and out. And you can give it a try. You can pray through it. Uh, As we pray here, just, I'm not going to have background music. Sometimes we do that. Um, Pray out loud. I want you to get used to hearing other people pray at the same time. And it's okay. God will sort it all out. Um, And as you finish, you know, pray for a while. And when you're ready, you can leave. And I just ask that you leave quietly, go out to the lobby, take your conversations out there so that, Whoever is still here can be in prayer. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's go ahead and pray together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Heavenly Father, holy God, I, I thank you that you are here with us, that you know us, that we're, we don't have to yell and scream to get your attention because you know us and you love us and you want to hear us. Hear our prayers this morning as we lift things up. Lord, I I thank you that you're a God that isn't distanced, but you are in our lives. Thank you for Jesus for giving us a model of how how to love God the Father well and love others. And so I ask you hear our prayers as we do that. Go ahead and pray on your own.